find that practice, renovate the space, put in new technology, market it appropriately, and find that surgeon that filled the need in that location. You must listen. Welcome to the Drilling Millions Podcast. The Drilling Millions Podcast. Lessons from some of the most successful dentists on the planet. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Presented by Sage Dental Partners. Your practice transition team. That escalated quickly. Coming to you from Toronto. Podcasting to the world. Please welcome, welcome. Akil Chawla. We have an incredible guest on this week, Dr. Jason Auerbach, oral surgeon practicing out of the U.S., uh, has amassed a huge social media following. Uh, I think it's almost like 200,000 followers on Instagram. Has done really well in in, in not only the social space, but uh, actually the practice management um, and and. He's at, I think, about 10 practices at this point. So he's a very successful oral surgeon with even bigger ambitions to grow his practices by 10x. As you'll hear in the podcast, is just incredible. With Jason, we discuss marketing, uh, you know, whether it be Instagram. Um, he's recently become the official oral surgery group of an NHL team. We talk about how to scale your practices. What numbers do you monitor do you really look at the bottom line on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis? And how do you learn these particular skills in order to scale your practices? And finally, we cap it off with taking a personal look at Jason. Jason at is very core as an entrepreneur, but also an extremely competent and capable surgeon. So we talk a little bit about what makes someone an entrepreneur and how personally he manages you know, all the various balls he has in the air right now. This is a phenomenal episode. I really enjoyed recording it, and I hope you guys enjoy this week's installment of Drilling Millions. Talking a little bit more about Riverside, what are some of those failures that pushed you to, you know, the great success that that sound like Borat there? <laughs> the <great laughs> so the, the 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 immense success that uh, that Riverside is. So I mean, I, I have a. a I don't know if it's a pretty standard kind of story, but I came out of residency. I finished training in 2003. Again, I'll be 49 this um, this week. So I came out of residency in 2003. I did a four-year residency uh, at Downstate Medical Center, Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn after having finished dental school at NYU. Um, and I started working for two of my attendings in the city, but I'm crazy driven. And so that wasn't enough for me. And I took a job, itinerant job at an oral surgery practice in New Jersey. And uh, I I was working there for uh, probably the better part of a year. And he's like, you got to come out here and make your partner, move your family to New Jersey. We're going to do this together. It was great. And so I actually said to him, okay, that's fine. I want no guaranteed minimum. This is the discussion I had with him. I want no guaranteed minimum. I just want a percentage of what I do. So I'm going to leave this position in the city where they're offering me partnership. I'm going to come to New Jersey. I'm going to raise my family in New Jersey. I'm going to work for you. And then we're going to be, I'm going to be a partner, but I don't want to guarantee. I just want upside, right? That was, that was what I was looking for. Again, I believe in myself and, and for, I've never wanted anything, anyone to give anything to me. So, I mean, that's not bullshit. That's how I really feel. So I, I did that. I left the city. I worked in Jersey. I was working there. Um, within the first couple of years, uh, things were amazing. Um, and then by the year three, things were starting to be like a little, you know, like, oh, yeah, I said that, but whatever. Um, 
the practice, the internal aspect of the practice had had grown substantially. I'm talking about multiples uh, uh, from the time that I started. And uh, I don't know if he got scared or cold feet or if I wasn't the right guy or uh, it doesn't matter. But so February of 2007, uh, my daughter was born, my second daughter. Um, I left that practice and uh, I bought a house in New Jersey. Again, all predicated on the fact that I was going to come here and start my life here. And so I moved from New York City to Jersey. I have no like full-time position. I'm working itinerant and not now because I have no really full-time position, nine different offices. I was working in the Bronx and upstate New York and South Jersey and all over the place. And, uh, and then I found a space in April of 2007, got renovated it and turned it into the first Riverside oral surgery. By the end of the first year, I was booked five days. I gave up most, most, if not all of my little itinerant positions, the young woman who really kind of is the heart and soul of Riverside Oral Surgery, still with me now, would carry a cell phone and kind of pretend we were in the office and write everything kind of handwritten in the thing. And I would rent renting space from a, a friend of mine who's still a referring doctor today. And we built Riverside Oral Surgery over the, over the subsequent years into what it is now, which, you know, we have uh, 10 locations, we have uh, over 100 team members, uh, 15 surgeons, 14 surgeons, uh, and and really just continuing to to build something that I think is very special. Wow, incredible! So from 2009 and starting your first, or 2007 and starting your first location to you know now where you're up at 10, how did you like? How did you manage to scale? Because I know that. Speaking to other dentists, you can get so stuck in the minutia of your one practice that you never really do any blue sky thinking. So how did you get out of that and grow to 10? Going from one to two was was probably, uh, you know, it was among the most difficult things to do because in one, everything is there. You, you're able to oversee every single thing and control every detail. I'm a guy who would see like a little piece of paper on the floor or you know, dust in the, in, in the vent, or if a, if a miter in the molding is off by a degree and like, I'm, I'm crazy. Right. So um, when you're in your office, you see that stuff to be able to take, to take the leap is, is something that requires, uh, you know, some, some inner strength, let's say. And so what I did was I, there, my, my thesis was that if I could take my practice and find a retiring oral surgeon or, or a twilighting oral surgeon on the periphery of my zone of influence, right? Having a good reputation where I was, where I was getting some refers, but maybe not, a, not as many as I could, or I couldn't handle, find that practice, renovate the space, put in new technology, market it appropriately, and find that surgeon that filled the need in that location, all kinds of aspects of it in terms of uh, broader opening uh, offerings, you know, full scope oral surgeon, proper demographics, the whole thing um, that I would make sense to do that. So I happen to find my first, the first guy that was going to do that, um, Sung Hee Cho, who did, who just had, was finishing a head and neck residency, head and neck fellowship uh, out of Emory. And I found the practice and I didn't need the, I wasn't going to buy the practice if I didn't have the new associate. I wasn't going to find, I wasn't going to hire the new associate if I didn't have the practice to put him in. And so it like, you know, the universe worked out, which in many cases it has for me. And 
we opened in Westwood, which was my second office. That office today will do probably 6X uh, revenue, what it did the year before I bought it. And, right. and so, and, and that's in large part due to song to, to Dr. Cho, uh, also what we do in terms of the patient experience, the marketing and, 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 and all of that. And so we were able to build that practice. Then the third practice was a little bit easier. And as I saw it, uh, although with the third practice came more challenges, we have now two surgeons in there um, and we found the right practice for that. And then the fourth practice for me to, was probably the next largest challenge that was outside of, the, of my zone of influence, as I've called it. It was a place where I had no professional reputation whatsoever. I had an associate that I knew was, was amazing and worthy and whatever. But the fact is, is there was a surgeon there who unfortunately got sick and needed an exit strategy. And we provided that for him. And that practice is uh, unbelievably successful now. Uh, unbelievably, it, it was idle, and now it's it's it's. I don't know if it's our busiest practice, but it's you know, top three, let's say. And so it, that's a that was that. And then once once I had the confidence that I could build outside of where I was known, I was able to be much more confident that other practices could come in could, could fall into line. So did you use outside financing or you self-financed all the practices yourself? I, I used commercial financing for every acquisition to this point. Um, so I, I used, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I have no relationship with them, really no relationship anymore is TD Bank. They did a great job for me. They were, they believed in me. They supported me. They, they interest rates were, were low, thankfully. And, um, you know, access to capital was not a problem, especially if I, you know, after I proved out time and time again that we were able to, to be successful, they were more than willing to help and, and they were very, very helpful. The problem was, is, became that as we got to such scale, everything was cross-collateralized and, you know, again, you have 10 offices and we have um, real risk associated with that, right? So even our cash flow is good, our margins are good and, and all of that. At some point, like personal guarantees and this and that, it becomes significantly more um, burdensome and overwhelming than you'd want it to be, despite your success and despite what you have in terms of your assets to be able to, you know, our payroll was, you know, thankfully very, very high, is very high. Um, on a biweekly basis, it's, it's more than probably many, practices in, earn in a year um not trying to be you know in any way not boasting just being real about oh, it no, it gives context it gives um context. and so so that becomes you know anxiety producing and mm -hmm. so given what was going on you know macro for oral maxillofacial surgery specialty dentistry in the last year and a half it was like clear that we had to do something. Um, and so we did, and I'm happy to speak to, you know, what we decided to do. Um, because yeah, I here. Did, so, you know, there, there, there was for many, many years, the, the dental DSO has been something that has take, not necessarily taken over dentistry, but it's a, it plays a large role in dentistry these days has a, it has kind of a, a bad name that just people think negatively about DSOs and corporate dentistry corporate structure in general. Um, I tend to not see it that way. I think like, like anything in the world, 
there are DSOs that are negative and there are DSOs that, that do what they, that they are supposed to do. Of course, as you put more business into it and people are looking to, you know, improve their EBIT margin and, and this and that, I mean, you've got to be a little bit smarter about things, but, but by and large, if you're dealing with good people, it's not such a bad thing. If you're dealing with not such great people, it's not going to be a good thing. But I was very clear to every surgeon who <clears throat> worked for me, every referring dentist who worked with me and my entire team that I was never going to sell Riverside Oral Surgery to a, a general dental DSO. I say that with respect. Um, it just, I, I feel like oral surgery, specialty dentistry is a very different business than general dentistry. The direct to consumer versus B2B models are co literally completely different. There is absolutely no, um, you know, tertiary care kind of concept with hygiene or, or, or anything like that, not that they're tertiary, they're extremely important, but you know what I mean? And yeah. so I, I do think that, um, I do think that it's a completely different business. And, and as an oral surgeon or specialty dentist selling their practice with this promise of like vertical integration, you're going to get the referring doctors from the general dentist who may or may not know you or like you or, or even want to refer to you. I think that's, a, I, I don't really buy that. So plus I was big enough that I didn't need to do that. So I didn't do that. Um, then we were approached by some of the, the larger strategic, you know, national, oral surgery practices out there. Um, and we were offered a significant amount from, from, from three of those, those organizations. And I think by and large, uh, there are a couple of players out there in that space that, that do a very good job. And I think that some of them are just out there aggregating EBITDA without any concept that it should be, a, you know, a, 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 an oral surgery practice. Right. And so I, I think that, um, not I think it we went really down the line with two of them very strongly um, neither one of them to me made sense in the end and then we were like in this place where well what are we going to do you know hiring surgeons becomes very very costly again cost of capital is now going up with with you know interest rates rising I mean of course they just dropped a little bit but with it with rising rates uh, and and again all my personal guarantees I said but I really want to build Riverside oral surgery and so I, I really went out to market and uh, I did not use a broker. I, I found um, really two private equity firms that believed in me, believed in my process, believed in my organization and were willing to invest in, in, in me, allowing me to continue to be um, the leader of the organization and to be um, still very heavily invested in the, in the, the business and build a Northeast based, Northeast focused, um, New Jersey based oral surgery platform that's designed to be the best oral surgery platform in the nation. And so that's what we decided to do. And so we did take on investors, um, got rid of the commercial lender and, um, and are now like poised to grow significantly still. So where, where do you anticipate you're going to go? I know you can't probably get into the exact specifics, but are you looking to double, triple? Like what, what, what scale are you looking at? Uh, I, I, would, I would say I would like to grow the practice uh, 10x from where it is now. Um, in the next, I would say in the next, I mean, relatively short period of time. 
Yeah. I mean, you, you understand that. So I started the, the 15 years ago, I started the practice. It was me and uh, me and three of my team members, um, two of whom are still with me. One of whom is still a very, very close friend. Um, just didn't, you know, she had to move on, which was totally appropriate for her and for us. And uh, I, I don't see, I don't see any limit. I've been asked over the years, you know, how many is enough or how, you know, what is it? There's no such thing to me. I think if you can do 10, why can't you do 500? Like, so long as you have the systems in place, um, you have the right people, which is everything. You know, a lot of people talk about people and culture and this and that, that's words are just such bullshit, in my opinion. Like you actually have to have the right people in the organization who understand delivery of care. Um, you know, I've learned so much over the last couple of years about business structure and org charts and this BS. And like, the fact is, is that really, like, really, there's, we're in the business of delivery of care, right? Now, of course, we are also in the business of, you know, figuring out the best way to make that care efficient and best systems and implementing systems so that you could scale and grow into them. But really, like, bottom line is, you could open a practice next to a Riverside oral surgery. If you do better than I'm doing, the referring doctors are going to see that, right? doesn't matter how big you get. All the DSOs in the world, they're better um, equipped because uh, they pay less economies of scale and all this stuff, and they have the back systems and all this. But realistically, if you are an amazing dentist, and you open an exceptional dental practice next to... A, a DSO office and the patients who are sophisticated, affluent patients right outside New York City see that this practice is there and you do a great job, you're going to take the business. So if I get like sloppy or lazy, or if I start like resting on my laurels because we are big, I lose tomorrow. I'll lose it all. And I look at it like that. I really think that if I don't continue to up my game uh, and raise my bar, then uh, it, it could all go away in a minute. That's why we continue to do what's best every single time. We add scope, meaning different services. We're, we add technology. We're always updating our offices, our ways of communicating. I'm always hammering into my younger surgeons, like the importance of being transparent and real and a good communicator. And, you know, all of the things that are like important in small business, doesn't matter that you're big. Big means nothing, nothing in healthcare in yeah. terms of from a patient's perspective. In fact, it's negative from a patient's perspective. So you got to be local in the communities that you serve. Again, I know I'm all over the place with how I'm saying this, but this is how I really feel. No, I'm, I'm inspired. You're going to grant Cardone this. It's an exit. That's unreal. Well, like I, I heard, I've heard it so many times that you know, you open up five Chinese restaurants or you open up five dental practice or you open up five car manufacturers. At the end of the day, you're going to be working like nuts. So why not just set your targets super high? Because you're going to be work, you're going to be, you know, pedal to the metal all the way. So, I mean, it's not easy to run a restaurant. No, you know, not knocking anyone that does it, but like it still requires a hell of a lot of work. Um, yeah. But but so as you grow, though, one thing that I'm interested in is how do you keep your finger on the pulse? of each practice 
So that becomes, that's also in the people. It's, it's the organization that you build. So again, I know what I do very well. I know what I don't do very well. And then, and it probably comes through in terms of just the way I call it. I'm, I'm saying like EBIT is bullshit. EBIT is not bullshit. It's extremely important. It's, it speaks to the value of your business, right? It's not bullshit in any way, but it's not something that I'm focused on at all, ever. So, you know, I have a COO who is focused on that and and is focused on a lot of the operations, the business operations of the business. Um, and then I have a clinical advisory board um, that is focused on the delivery of care, everything from compliance in terms of the way the care is delivered to systems that allow that care to be delivered to the medical directorship falling underneath the clinical advisory board. That clinical advisory board is an autonomous independent board of doctors who understand what it is to deliver care, both from the medical surgical side and from the patient experience side. Whereas the executive board is focused on, okay, these guys are, are really amazing in terms of delivering care. How do we make it easier? What systems do we implement? What technology are we purchasing? How do we make this most cost effective? Whatever it is. And if you work together, you have the outcome that you need. I have people who, and again, this becomes more difficult as you scale. I have people within my organization who have risen from, you know, my chair side assistant to a regional director, right? Running five offices, speaking each day to the office managers in each one of those offices. So it's really like my DNA, like what I'm, you know, what I'm look, trying to put out there, the Riverside way is in these people, they understand it innately now. Well, not innately, but they they understand it. And because they understand it, they're able to impart that to those who are working at the local level. Uh, I hope that that can continue, right? I mean, like as we get further from our epicenter, I assume that I'm going to be able to, we as a group are going to be able to figure that out. But that's that's the hardest part about growing a business, right? How do you like, how do you keep it what it's supposed to be? Like what you heard? Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and follow Drilling Millions on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube for exclusive clips. 